Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of Pit Stop Fracker. I am your host Anik and we are here today to go over the Michael Schumacher documentary that was premiered on Netflix this week. So we're talking about Michael Schumacher, what many people consider to be the greatest F1 driver of all time. And I'm here joined by Chris, Kwame and JL to go through that documentary so we'll get their thoughts on it. Um, it was an interesting documentary, um, in all honesty. I personally think it touched on Schumacher as a person um, and not so much as a racing driver, but we'll get into that as the pod goes along. Um, let me introduce my co-host today. Chris, how you keeping, mate? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for asking. Um, actually, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. I've been suffering from... <laughs> from this sore throat over the weekend um, and it's still getting the better of me unfortunately but I should I should be okay to get through it today we're, we're talking F1 so I'm sure I'll be fine bro um, yeah Kwame how you doing mate I'm good bro I'm good bro how you doing I'm good man I'm good, good here, man. yeah the, the um... sore throat's still there from when from when Chris asked me to when you asked me Still for it, still there. It's not gone yet, bro. <laughs> yeah, bro. Hopefully, it gets better by the end of the pod. Um, but yeah, um, fingers no, crossed, man. Not too bad. Not too bad. <laughs> Good to see the documentary as well. I mean, I definitely do agree with you on it that um, it did touch him more as a person rather than his F1 adventures. But we'll go into that later. We'll to that. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, I suppose on that point, though, it just goes to show that as drivers, they're not robots, they're, they're humans as well. And I think it was nice, especially to separate, um, you know, the two week break we have between races for them to release this documentary and provide like a different angle um, when, when it comes to Formula One um, and, and racing drivers and, and what goes on behind the scenes. JL, how you doing, brother? Man, like you, covering from a cough, flu, whatever it is, um, but I'm good. 
I'm good. I went down memory lane today. Like rewatching that. Yeah. Honestly, like yeah, brought back so many memories. To be honest with you, bro, as as a United fan, you know we're we're talking about one goat here. But since since the last time you're on the pod, another goat of football has joined your team. So, are you are you, are you sure you you were recovering from a cough, or was it just a lot of heavy <laughs> nights partying? Is 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 that what it was, JL? No, 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 no. It definitely was, definitely was. But um, <laughs> but, I, but ironically, you know, both my teams in red. You know, I have to relive both the pain and the joy. So we're good. We're good, we're good. Um, and Kunle has just joined the building. You, Kunle, you, you, you never responded to the roll call, but you just joined the stream as you would. Um, anyway, we love having you on. How's it going, bro? Yeah, I'm good. I didn't know I didn't know I'd be done with work by the time you guys were recording. That's why I didn't, because you know some of us have to work in it. <laughs> Mate, we've all been working. Don't give me that. You just you mean, jump in the stream and surprise us. I mean, some of us are on a different time zone, you get me. <laughs> um, you're not sporting the red do-rag today? Or any do-rag? Nah, nah, because, um, you know, shout, shout them member. Nah, never, never supporting that team, ever. <laughs> ever. Oh, good. I'm too, I'm, anyway. too I'm too McLaren for that. I'm yeah, too oh, now, now you're McLaren. I, what, it's what I get all of a sudden. No, no, All no, of no, a no. sudden, I've always, I've always been McLaren, you just, you just didn't know. I've always been McLaren. Right, since Monza, all these McLaren fans nah. have come out of nowhere. Like, oh, Anik, I support Anik, it. I was Anik, back in McLaren for time. Go check the predictions. I had McLaren finishing third. I've always okay. been McLaren. Yeah, but what, were you a McLaren fan though? I'm gonna have to go back and watch these these earlier pods. Go watch it. I've always been. It's always been, you know. All right, all right, all right. That's always been the first team. Uh-huh. Lewis, uh-huh. Lewis left. Lewis left. There's still a lot for McLaren, but you know, I, t- I I took my support to to go with Lewis. I can uh, sorry, 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 sorry. This is a Ferrari like a Schumacher pod. We're talking about McLaren. Yeah. I'm I'm sure I'm sure the team that's not won a world championship in almost twelve years or fifteen years. Hey, hey, McLaren haven't won a world uh, constructors in the twenty first century, but we'll save that for another day and another pod. Let's talk about Schumacher though. Um, In terms of um, the actual documentary itself, so so it's two hours, um, and for those viewers and and listeners that are unaware. The documentary itself was touching on Schumacher up until his um, battles with McLaren and then his first championships for a good one and a half hours. And then for like the last 20, 25 minutes, they sort of just skimmed over his his <laughs> his five world championships with Ferrari and then and then his later years. Um, but what we saw in the early exchanges was this, um, what do you call it, like a... A real desire to to be a race winner from an early age. It seems like his his upbringing had a lot of similarities to Lewis Hamilton in terms of wanting to be the best in karting, not always having the best kart, um, coming up from you know um, a working class family and sort of rising up through the ranks there. Now I'm going to come to you first on this, JL. Um, his first race was at Belgium in 1991. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think he only, he managed to qualify, I think, seventh? 
on the grid or something? Yeah, between fifth and seventh, it, yeah, it, it wasn't that high. Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it was. It was in nineteen ninety. I think it was ninety one. Yeah, ninety one. And, uh, and and it got a lot of the paddock to to stand up and see. Actually, you know what? This guy is is a fantastic racing driver. Mm-hmm. And then it just seemed like he was tapped up all of a sudden by like Flavio Briatore. Um, like, like, what did you make of that all of a sudden? Like, obviously, Eddie Jordan brought him in. He goes, yeah, we're going to have you going to race for us. And then all of a sudden he got tapped up and, and by 92, he was driving for, for Benetton. What did you make of those sort of early exchanges? And and does does it like make you realise that, yeah, these games are always going to be played in Formula One? Hundred um, percent. I think some made a, p- a point in the documentary around how the golden rule is you don't speak to drivers in the in the paddock about um, deals and moving teams. Yet in the twenty first century, we see all the time. So this is part and parcel of Formula One. It, ha- it happened daily. Um, it's funny watching like how oh yeah, no, as I said, he got into F F one as a not lucky because someone is a um, Unavailable, mm-hmm. but um, it's interesting because I believe if, a few parts ago we we spoke about how we want to see drivers. It's rare to now see drivers whose families sacrificed a lot to get them into the sport. And we talk about Lewis and what his dad did, but Mike was the same. You know, his dad and his family had to sacrifice a lot. He came in, and I guess as his dad said, when someone offers you a five-year deal. I think it was like 3,000 marks where it was a month, you take it. It doesn't matter what the team was, didn't matter where they were. I think Benetton at the time were the equivalent of modern day. I, I think I think he said they were like the fourth quickest team. Yeah, fourth quickest team. So I would say they... You'd say like a Ma- I, McLaren, ironically. Ironically, McLaren, yes, McLaren. Ironically, McLaren, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. McLaren without the heritage. So I can now, so same with like any driver on the grid, right? If you were a talented driver and McLaren come to you to say, yo, we want you, no, here's the money, money on the table, you take it. You take it. So, um, and obviously he won two championships, which, which we'll get to. But yeah, it was a, at the time, unprecedented. Um, and I just remember, I just remember, my first memory of Formula One was that blue car with the red nose. Mm-hmm. That's, that's like etched into my memory. I just seeing him um, challenging with Williams and Curran um, back then. Yeah, definitely, bro. And I think that early career, well, that early part of his Benetton career, sort of set him up to to go for the World Championships. And I'm just going to jump straight into the sort of first you know dramatic moment that we saw in the documentary and that was like the the jewels that he had with Ayrton Senna we saw that um at the French Grand Prix in 1992 he took him out at the start and then you know there there was the battles um right up until you know that that fatal day in in 1994 when um Senna unfortunately passed away now when it came to that Senna moment in the documentary I want to come to you first on this Kunle like what was your initial reaction to the crash, the battles, the way they portrayed it? Because they turned around in the documentary and they kind of suggested that, you know, Senna at the time was under a lot of pressure. Schumacher was chasing him down. That kind of what led to, you know, that that 
moment in time, you know, happening and, you know, he could have, and, and that might be the reason why he crashed. <coughs> Obviously, there, there's been a report that's come out and said, yeah, it was due to the steering column failing. But I mean, yeah, what was your take on, on, on that Senna bit, mate? Um, first things first, and rest in peace to Ayrton Senna. You know, um, yeah. great, great driver, brilliant driver, you know. Um, secondly, I think Netflix were disgusting for that, to start with. Mm-hmm. They could have... It was raw. It was, it was very, very been, raw. They could have done that. I could think of different ways where they could have put that accident in there and it wouldn't be as bad as it was the way the documentary came out. Because, you know, for a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of fans who have, um, who have done their best to avoid watching that Senna crash, a lot of fans have avoided watching that Senna crash again. You know, if you've seen the Senna documentary, it was in there. But again, you knew that was coming because there was a trigger warning, at least, you know, you, you sort of had an idea of, okay, this is building up to that crash. But with the Schumacher one, I didn't expect to see that crash. And I didn't expect it to be that raw because, you know, not just the crash, there was the, you know, the whole, the the health the health officials at the racetrack trying to like move his lifeless body away from the car. Mm-hmm. You know, all of that was in there. And I feel like that could have been, that could have been done better. And again, it's just like just just like Netflix would do with Draft to Survive. They try to build up something that probably doesn't exist. You know, I, I mean, I, I mean, sorry to interrupt you there, couldn't I? I, I want to stick my neck out and say that, in my view, Schumacher had no bearing on the crash itself. The fact at that all. he was chasing Senna down, I don't think he had any bearing on it. And I think at all. At the all. way Netflix tried to portray that, I just, I just didn't see it right with me. Like yeah, he's a made... world champion. He's driving a car. The, the steering column gave up. That's exactly what, what we've just read. Yeah, I, I don't think it had anything to do with Schumacher chasing. I mean, him that was. I mean, there was no. I mean, yes, maybe, maybe they sort of. If they were sort of portraying, you know, this could have been a rivalry for the next, from nineteen ninety four to probably two thousand two thousand and one, where Senna would be sort of leaving the sport. If that was what they were trying to do, makes sense. But the fact that they tried to like, yes, you know. Schumacher came on the he came into the spot when Senna was like the sort of face, mm-hmm. but then even then Senna wasn't the only face. Like you know, I've, I've, I wasn't I wasn't there then, but you know I've watched the documentaries, I've seen the different highlights. You know, it was Senna versus Prost. There was other drivers there that were like not just. You, you, I mean, you had his like uh, Nigel Mansell. You had Martin yeah, Brundle, who, you know, who might not have been well known, but he was an experienced driver. Yeah, you had Mika so Hakkinen. The yeah, there were no, yeah. there were not scrubs. You know, it's not like where there's just one name to the sport. So there was different drivers there, but I think because Senna was the other driver that was like sort of that determined at the time or publicly, you know, everyone knew Senna. You know, everyone knew Senna wanted to win championships. Everyone knew. He would do anything to win a race, you know. He would do anything in battles. So I think maybe that's what they tried to do to say, okay, you know what? It's coming. It's ruffled Senna's feathers, and you know there was that there was that whole there was that scene where Senna goes to speak to him after the crash, you know, after he crashes him like, you know, you don't drive like that, blah blah blah, you know, sort of Liu brought him like G checked him like, yo, big man, you're fast, but calm down a bit, 
maybe that's what they were trying to do. But yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't really, and I tweeted it as well. Like, you know, if you don't want to watch this between the minutes of this and this, you can skip it because it was a bit too, I've seen the crash before, but I hadn't seen it from that perspective of, you know, there's a lifeless body in the, in the car. Car. Because, you know, like, it was so vivid and it was so raw that you could literally see the car. You could literally see that Senna wasn't moving and they were just trying to move his body away from that car. And, yeah, that was a bit... was a bit too much. I think what, what, what they should have probably focused on... I mean, I don't want to be criticising, you know, Netflix and how they go about doing these documentaries, but I think what they probably should have focused on was the aftermath, you know, the fact that on the podium, Schumacher was there. I think someone came up to him. I don't know, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Someone came up to him on the podium and said, look, it's in a serious condition for Senna. And Yeah, I think the team principal, the team principal said no champagne or nothing like yeah. that. Um, yeah. And, and it should have maybe just focused on, on bits. I, I, what I found really weird was like the way they just tidied up the crash and just wanted to get racing again. Um, but yeah, Chris, let me come to you quickly on this. In terms of um, Senna and the legacy that he left on Schumacher in the documentary, what did you make of that? Chris, if you're there, you're on So me. I thought, yeah, I'm here, I'm here. I got you now. Am I out? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah go for it, go for it, bro. Okay. So I found that the, the legacy... The legacy that that Senna left for Schumacher was something that was really good and really important because you could see that he was one of his heroes. One person, like that, you saw how he g-checked man in 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 France and how Schumacher actually yeah. listened. Like one of the few people that you could say Michael listened to this person when talking about, about racing, and like so you can see that the effects of both the crash. Seeing the crash and you know losing one of your heroes, that the profound effect in the interview was clear. So I feel as though on that center point, you know, you could see that it was one of his heroes. We saw that in the pictures after Manicor, the way in which Schumacher was taking on the information that the, the center was giving him, center was acting like you know the old figure, being like, look. You should have done this, and you should you should you should have taken this approach into the corner, whatever. It seemed like Schumacher for that one time was like, yeah, I'm willing to take on, I'm willing to learn, and and obviously after the crash, you know, it must have you know taken him back and when, and he ended up winning that '94 season, and everyone's going to remember that '94 season for obviously one one of the greats passing away in Senna, but he was able to deliver that that championship for Benetton, and he was also able to deliver it in '95 as well. During um, that time, I think we also need to touch on some of the key racing moments that he had, some of the, you know, quote-unquote shithousery moments that he had. And, and there was an incident with Damon Hill that I want to come to you, um, Kwame. Obviously, it was way before your time. So you, would, you, you didn't witness it live, but you've probably seen it back on YouTube and definitely in a documentary. But... What did you kind of make of that? Obviously, it's the last race of the 1994 championship. 
They're in Adelaide. Schumacher seems to be cruising to a victory that will lead into the World Championship. I think, I don't know, the corner itself, but he's going to one of the corners. He mistimed it. He went off track. As he came back on circuit, Hill goes for the inside. As he's going for the inside, Schumacher just appears to turn into him, which leaves Schumacher's car completely wrecked and out of the Grand Prix. Hill tries to carry on, but I think the suspension's broken um, and obviously Hill can't carry on. Both drivers are out, which means that Schumacher wins his first world title. So, yeah, um, what did you make of that, that, that first sort of incident that, that Schumacher had to, to win a title for, for Benetton? Uh, I feel like it's very interesting because um, with Schumacher, like his one of the legacies he kind of le- lent on is being his she has moments, and the, like he, like he said, his first moment was the uh, Damien Hill incident in Adelaide. And um, with that, it shows I feel like a guy who's very determined to win at all costs and would kind of previously, you know, like Senator for him, who had the situation to do with uh, Prost. It kind of shows how Schumi was took all responsible to win, even if that affected, you know, um, that could affect his chances of, of winning because. You're not sure if you're going to crash him out. You're not sure if it's going to work out in your favor. You could crash him and he can still drive on. But luckily for him, he hits um, Damon in the right part of the car where the suspension was finished. And I remember when Damon went to the pit stop, they realized that, yeah, he can't continue. She might go on. Uh, and also, I find it, it's a kind of a current theme in his, in his, um, in his career as well. Uh, 97, again, similar incident with uh, Jack Villeneuve. Uh, again, I think that's the referee got suspended well from the championship in the last race. You also saw the um, incident again with uh, Coulthard in uh, Spa as well and him being a beef and trying to punch him up in the pit stop. I like the way the documentary um, talked about it because even though, you know, Schumacher, he may have been in the best condition right now to talk about. And also, you know, he's definitely a revered guy in the sport. And even though he's a very passionate guy, I kind of liked how it did talk about his flaws as a driver and how he was willing to win at all costs and... If that happened now as well, especially if I'm, if I'm sure, or just in the PC culture we live in, it'll be much more interesting to see how we're not. But I kind of wait he, how, you know, he just went for anything. He just didn't care. I'm going to take this risk. And yeah, and I think I, you, you, you touched on it perfectly because even then, I was just going to come on to the 97 incident as well. And I think that bared so many similarities to the 94 one. I think Martin Brundle came on radio and said, you've hit the wrong part of him there, Shumi. He's been able to carry on and just for reference for the viewers and listeners, in 1997, it was a very, very similar incident. Uh, very final Grand Prix in Jerez. Um, Schumacher and Villeneuve are battling for the title. Basically, whoever finished first wins the title. If both of them were to crash out, then Schumacher would have won the title. Correct if I'm wrong there. But regardless, Schumacher crashed out as he tried to steer into Villeneuve as he was overtaking him. Now, I'm going to come to you on this, JL. In both incidents, a driver is coming up the inside of him and it, it doesn't appear. Schumacher turns into them, tries to take him out for the World Championship. Do you feel as though that is just a natural instinct of his driver or do you reckon that is him just being an ultimate dickhead and being like, mate, you ain't winning this, I'm winning this? So having really the memories, um, ultimately, I think... It's combination. I think he was a bit of a because he was because he because he demanded excellence from himself. It also meant he was a bit arrogant. So he thought either I win or you're not going to win. And 
there were times where you no know, one talked about it, Kuvard, Villeneuve, where yeah, let's, be, let's, let's not shoot quotes. It. He took he took out he took out his, his opponents, knowing that bar we bar we got disqualified uh, for championship. You probably worst case scenario, I get banned. It's fine. You know, I I I believe for this race you are not going to win. You know, we um someone mentioned in in the pod last week about um it might be new about about Max not thinking about the next race. It's thinking about right here, right now. I need to win. And mm-hmm. even if I damage my car, damage your car, my championship, doesn't matter. And I think with him, yes, we talk about, you know, his dominance and so forth, but a lot of the things he did, I think, earlier in his career were probably a bit too reckless and a bit too hot-headed. Because um, um, was, was it Kufard who mentioned um, in the documentary around, oh, do you ever think you're wrong? He's like, no. Because to him, in his viewpoint, he's always right. Even if the crash was his fault, even if there wasn't a, a space, even if he was going too fast, in his mind, because of who he is, he was entitled to go for it. And to win that many championships, to, to be that dominant, you have to almost have a, a mental, I don't, don't want to call it, but something as a switch that flips that way that you are a killer in that um we saw towards the latter parts of his career after you know i think once the cars started getting faster technology improved aerodynamics improved and so forth he did he did less of those things because i believed because i think the cars that back in the you know late 90s early 2000s you could probably say it was pure driving talent Give or mm-hmm. take, slash the fastest cars. As technology improved, you could have a fast car, a faster car with a bad driver. Well, I won't say bad, not as good as a good driver. So he, I say he struggled, but I think he toned down those that on on that because he started realizing that, you know, as Kifard said, he's getting older. He can't those those decisions are um, he's not thinking about them as quickly. So honestly, I loved it. As a as a neutral, well, neutral, not biased, but as a racing fan, I loved it because you need that. You need that shit houseery. You need that somebody who is just going to make you think rightly or wrongly. You know, as a as a competitor, what's he gonna do? As a as a fan, it, it just brings energy to to the sport. Mm-hmm. I feel as though he just had a will to win, and no matter what, he was gonna win. And I think we saw that perfectly in in Jerez because when he crashed into Villeneuve he went back to the pits and he told Ross Braun I wasn't I wasn't a fault and even Ross Braun turned around and said we showed in the video and he kind of realized then that yeah maybe I was in the wrong here so he just has this like maybe just a mental block and he just thinks that yeah I'm I'm right every time I'm gonna win I mean I mean look at in the documentary his wife said when he was on breaks most F1 Drivers, they have breaks. They relax. They chill. He did go karting. He did sky solo skydiving. He did. Mm-hmm. He did basically anything that was extreme. So he he's purely a driven junkie. So I think he thrives on that. On that yeah. All right, you know, there's there's a gap. I may not make it, but he may make it. And I think he, and I think just that he just something switches and just gets everything, just sees red, and that's it. That's it. 
Couldn't they? Talk to me about Schumacher and some of his crashes in uh, 94, 97, 98. What did you make of them? Are we, are we talking about the master of the dark arts, yeah? Yeah, just tell us, man. Just tell us. It was epic shit house. Yeah. You know what? It was, wasn't it, bro? <laughs> it was. It was shit house. I don't know why JL's trying to like sugarcoat it. It was shit house. He's just. You see, JL, yeah. This is this is him wearing his Ferrari Googles, like you know, it's Ferrari is shimmy. Nothing shimmy and Ferrari done is wrong. You know, even if they're crashing into other cars, I don't care as long as we're winning the top championship. But I think I think again, it goes back to it goes back to. If you look at certain drivers and you look at who their idols are, you look at Shumi and, you know, his first sort of racing point, the first person you look at when you look at who Shumi sort of looks up to is Ayrton Senna. And, you know, and Senna also had this moment where it's like, I'm going to, like, take you out. I'm going to win the championship. You know, I don't finish the race. You don't finish the race. We're the only two in. We're the only two there that will probably win the championship. So, neither of us would finish the race, and I win the championship. So, you know, it happened in 1994, the first time around, and you know, in that documentary, he tried to like go, but oh yeah, I didn't know. You know, I lost control. I was trying to go back on the track, but that man knew what he was doing. He knew, bro. He, he knew. knew what he was doing, man. He's like. Oof, it's going to be a bit of a sticky one, you know. I have to win this championship. Like, he needed to win 94. And then he went on. And then when he went on to win in 95, you know, 95 was more straightforward. And mm-hmm. that sort of solidified 94. So for all of for all of the shit history that he done, he, he always had that one season that backs it up to say, hey, look, I didn't just win because I crashed into that guy last year. I won because I was the better driver. Or I am I'm, I'm better than everyone else. So when it came when it when it when it happened again with the um Villeneuve one, again, if you if if you watch a documentary, he tried to okay, this guy is faster than me, he's in a rocket. I can't stop him on the track. The only thing I can do is you know, give him a little squeeze. Take him out, bro. Yeah, simple, bro. He just, but then, but then, the only mistake he made was that he went for a body shot instead of a headshot, and the body (laughs) shot didn't, you know, the body shot didn't, it didn't work, and then he had to miss, you know, and then he had to miss the next year because of the, the suspension, and again, that happened because this was a second, you know, there was already history of Michael doing that. He didn't take away from his greatness as a racing driver. He didn't take away from his abilities, but it just meant that, you know, he's, again, like, Anik, you're a 90s baby. Like, you're old, right? Mm-hmm. You're unholded. So, like, me and Kwame, me and Kwame come from a different era, right? <laughs> Don't know? give me that, bro. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. come from a different era. So, so he was just, at that time, just saying, you know what? This is the era of racing where I come from. It's, you take it one way, you either take it Fairly, or you little bro the person that you're taking it from. So, precisely. Some people call it shit houseery. Some people call it the dark arts. Some people Winning. call it. Some people call it genius, but it's just it's just what. Jl what calls it winning. Yeah, Jl Jl calls it winning. Obviously, it's Jl. Nah, yeah. So what we saw 
um, towards the end of 97, obviously that, that race was quite key because Mika Hakkinen ended up winning that and then going into 98, by which point it was Schumacher's third year at Ferrari and then 99, his fourth year. The wait to deliver that first world title for Ferrari was growing. The anticipation was growing. The expectation for Ferrari was growing. And Schumacher actually ended up winning his first championship uh, for Ferrari in 2000. Um, and I just want to come to you first on this, Chris. Um, for for those of you that aren't aware, Schumacher uh, missed the best part of the 99 season because he crashed out at Silverstone and, and he broke his leg. But in terms of ranking his first world championship with Ferrari in 2000, would you say that is one of his greatest achievements? No, only because of the standards he set later on in terms of greatness. So okay. stuff like 2002, where he finished every race on the podium and, and 2004, like how many races, how many of the, like having the championship wrapped up by Spa is a different level of greatness. While 2000 was something special, he just went on to another level later on. So I feel as though, um, so I, I agree with you to a point, but I feel as though post 2000, we saw a Schumacher dominance. So between 2000 and 2004, I feel as though we saw Schumacher dominance. I feel as though in, in the battle from especially 98 to 2000, I remember it so well because that's when I really started getting into Formula 1. I feel as though it was the battle of trying to topple McLaren. And McLaren were very, very quick. I personally think in 99, Ferrari had a quicker car. And Eddie Irvine was just unable to get the best out of that car after Schumacher's unfortunate crash. But in 2000, I feel as though he had the car underneath him. He won the first, I think, four, three races in the bounce. And then, you know, he, he was able to deliver that championship. And I feel as though that's good because... The only so, so so when you look back on it, the only world champion for Ferrari is Kimi Raikkonen since Schumacher. Now, when you look back on it, I actually think actually you know what in two thousand that was amazing because it had been a bit of a drought for them, and then he had delivered it, and it seemed you know em, em, emphatic at the time. I remember I was really really happy because I, I was actually that year backing Schumacher to win. Um, I'm going to come to you on this, Jay. I see you nodding your head. I see you. Uh, agreeing with what I'm saying, but um, yeah, what did you make up of that? Like that that silver West McLaren versus you know the the scarlet red Ferrari and Schumacher. You know what? It brought back so many memories of two things: my hatred, utter hatred for, for McLaren, that silver arrow, and do you know why? Because Mika Hakkinen was so so fast. And he was I, too I, good. He, he was he was too good. So I think it was more slight jealousy because he was quick and he was a genuine. Like obviously two-time world champion, but he was what three-time world champion, I think. But he was no, like two-time, two two-time. Oh, in two thousand, it would have been the third time. He would have yeah, been, yes, yeah, sorry, he would yeah, have yeah. been triple, yeah. Um, so I think he, he was just a genuine fast driver in a fast car. That's why, that's why I hated it. But that's, so I, I think two thousand was his greatest because at that time, what fifth season at Ferrari, he was two-time champion. Um, Mika Hakkinen, you know, had won, his, had won his two titles in a row. And um, John Todd even said there were question marks around did they back the right horse? You know, it's 
it's similar, it's similar to how Vettel uh, at, well, ironically at Ferrari, you have a multiple world champion in the Ferrari team that you expect better from, mm-hmm. and he wasn't delivering. So you could argue, had he not won the 2000 championship, there is no guarantee that he won 2001, no guarantee he would have stayed at Ferrari, and who knows what the legacy and the sport would have been. So mm-hmm. whilst I agree, Chris, that there were more dominant championships in terms of sheer importance, that was the the the, the beginning of, I guess, obviously the you know, Ferrari dominance, but just for him, you know, he, he, he achieved what he wanted. It was quite simply, come to Ferrari, come to the, you know, the one of the three legacy teams in, in Formula One at the time, win it and go down in history as record breaker. And he did. So and to be and, and also not, not only to win it, but to be probably the well, arguably the the, the, the best slash second best when how you look at it, driver on the grid. Um yeah, and probably going to the last race now, it, it definitely was and I, I remember it because I would have been about aging myself, old enough <laughs> to 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 remember it. Um and jumping for joy, the sheer utter joy, um, because we beat Mika Hakkinen. It, it's, it's funny you mentioned Hakkinen because I remember that, that 2000 year and I was actually at the time really upset when Hakkinen made that pass on Schumacher at Spa because if you remember and the documentary takes us back Hakkinen actually spoke with Schumacher after that pass and he was upset with Schumacher because it's the first time as they were coming up to a back marker down the Kemmel Street he completely blocked him off and Hakkinen was upset about that a couple of laps later obviously Hakkinen manages to overtake him going on the inside of Ricardo's on her. Schumacher goes around the outside. But I do feel as though when you consider Michael Schumacher, you also, uh, during that time, you definitely need to take your hat off to Mika Hakkinen. And I do feel as though that goes under the radar a lot. Maybe it's because of um, Twitter and F1 and, and the wider world now and how they consider drivers. But I feel as though Hakkinen needs to get a lot of praise because... He was an almighty quick driver. I really thought he was... Honestly, in 2000, I thought he was going to uh, deliver the, world, the the triple crown for them. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, he's definitely... I mean, definitely a better driver than Kimi, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably, outside of... Outside of, of recent champions, so Lewis, Michael, Alonso... I'd probably say he's probably the best out of of those three, personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Personally, I can't, we could argue him and Vettel, but yeah, definitely, definitely up there. So yeah, that that was probably arguably, in in my view, his his, his, his most iconic moment um, for Mm -hmm. Ferrari. And then the way in which the um, documentary portrayed it was like, ah, he's got this win for Ferrari, weight off his shoulders. And he was just able to go and deliver world championship after world championship after world championship, which I think was a bit of an over an exaggeration. Come the end of it in 2004, come the end of his first stint in Formula One, 2004, he had seven world championships and he won back to back titles every year from 2000 right to 2004. Hey, come on this, because um, it's getting closer to your time now, 2004. What did you uh, make of those world championships? Do you think it was just a case of having that weight off his shoulders or do you just think the car was just too dominant? I think um, I think a bit of both. I feel like as well, um, yeah, because I've gone to F1 right around like 05, yeah, 
05 and 04. So towards the end of this era, I felt like um, they kind of missed out um, the t- 2003 the battles that he had with um, the Williams and he had with the uh, McLaren as well, and people like uh, Kimi and Montoya. Um, I mean, yes, 02 and 04, like Chris said, were much more straightforward years. Uh, and them years where that's where the fight was just dominant. But I feel like, again, yes, stuff like 03, 01, they kind of missed out the battles he had with the uh, yeah, Williams and McLaren, who were much more fast at the time. And I feel like, uh, as well, they didn't uh, talk about his partnership with his uh, teammate Rubens as well. Who, uh, yeah. At the time, obviously, sacrificed a lot in the team, being the second fiddle, being the original Valtteri Bottas, uh, who gets clowned nowadays. Um, how he <laughs> <laughs> how he felt and how you know the structure of the team was built. Um, I, I feel like that could have gone way more deal. I thought they should have done like another episode in the, in the documentary. Um, because yeah, much more was done, and even because all oh, his brothers as well was at the time with Williams as well. And you know, he was he was getting more second fielder to Montoya, but he was still there competing. I feel like, yes, 2000, 2005, he wasn't 2000, 2004. So, yes, he was in his stride, yes, he's had the faster car, yes, everything kind of clicked for him and the team all together. Everything was in its place, but again, if you look into the details more, there were some battles that were just that should have been discussed. And you about how you know over fought, how you fought them, yeah, definitely. And I think you know what, I'm just gonna get into the agendas right away, and I'm gonna come to you first on this, Kunle. Like, is there an argument now when you look back at Schumacher, look back at his legacy? Is there an argument to say that every time he went toe-to-toe with the rival for a championship, he wasn't able to deliver? Because as far as I can remember, he's only ever gone up against Mika Hakkinen in 98, partially in 99. In 2000, okay, he toppled him. 05-06, he wasn't able to get the better of Alonso. Obviously, that Renault car, you know, there could be an argument that that was a cheat code or whatever, but... When it comes to battling another person for the championship, would you say that Schumacher has it in him to, to get over the line or had it in him to get over the line? First things first. If you have an agenda against Schumacher and championship credential, you're nasty. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> look, <laughs> I, I, look, we're going to get on to it. We're, look, That's the nastiest. Look, we're no. going to end up comparing him to Hamilton at some point, aren't we? Like, look, no. we've been recording for 40 minutes. Hamilton, we have to talk about Hamilton in the same breath. And if you we're going to compare Schumacher and Hamilton, I have to look at how many times Schumacher and I, Hamilton I, have gone back okay. toe-to-toe for a championship. I, I personally wouldn't be doing that comparison just out of respect for the man's legacy, personally. But if you want to do that, you're nasty to start with. <laughs> I mean, that's to start with. And secondly, you know, he has, um, the man has seven champion. He has seven world championships. Whether you want to say he was against credible opponents or not, whether it was shit Austri or Dark Hearts, you cannot take seven away from him. You cannot put, you can't put seven asterisks on his names. All of you can, not. All, all you can put next to the man's names is stars. And, you know, like I said earlier, for every year that there was some sort of battle or some sort of, you know, controversy around this championship, the next year he went out and he literally battered the opposition. You know, 2000, when he won in 2000 after that, you know, again, people, some some people would argue that McLaren was faster than the Ferrari. 
some would argue his first Ferrari championship, some would argue the McLaren was faster. But I have love for Mika, and Mika is, you know, I think he's up there. It's not Mount Rushmore F1, just because other people have better numbers than he does, but I think he's up there as one of the greats of the sport. So, so, so Ferrari won the Constructors in 99, yeah? How can they won the World Championship? Yeah. And that's one of the few times that a driver has been able to win the World Championship and not have the fastest car. So you who also was, have to give your hand out of the second who was the second driver at I think I, th- I think the second who, time was yeah, in two thousand and seven. Who was the second time who was the second driver at McLaren? Uh, what during that time? David yeah. Coulthard. Who was the second driver at um, Ferrari? Eddie Irvine. Are you telling me Coulthard is a better driver than Irvine? No 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 I'm not no no I'm not I'm not saying that. Um, okay. I mean what, no 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 but no but that, that backs it up even more. That shows you just how dominant the Ferrari was in 99. Because the Ferrari was able to win the Constructors in 99. No, so if you switch around Crawford and Irvine, mm-hmm. Ferrari, the Ferrari still win the Constructors? Probably, yeah. I don't yeah. know. Do you Probably, think that? Yeah. Do you think so, JL? 99, 99, that Ferrari car was dominant. Everyone goes on about Schumacher's Malaysia, you know, fantastic comeback and whatever. But, you know, let's just keep our feet on the ground here. That the car McLaren, was very quick. But Mika's McLaren wasn't a it wasn't a it wasn't a go karting car either. It wasn't it, yeah, wasn't it was quick slow. enough. It was quick, exactly, you know, it was quick enough to compete. So but that's that that's aside, you know, I'll leave that argument to you old heads to discuss. Me yeah, yeah, Kwame, no, this is why we brought you into the conversation, couldn't let you you're, you're me, very me, much me, me and Kwame only like, you know, we enjoy the sport when like when we have LED TVs and Kule, <laughs> no, you are very much part of this conversation. Them, we, we all know, talking, we all know you watch ITV. We're not talking Jim ITV, Rosenthal. You know, we're talking BBC One and Sky News. You know, <laughs> that's what I'm trying to talk about. But yeah, like back to back to Shim, Like I feel, I feel like he, I feel like he has, he has enough to say that he has been, he had been able to go up against some of the best of the best drivers and come up on top. You know. The dominance ended when Alonso came in, but that's that's just the cycle, right? You don't you don't become you're not king forever. You know he came up he came up as a young pop, and if, from the documentary is like he was this kid, so he went from being a supplement driver to just you know someone someone's been arrested we need a driver to getting signed to help. To help the Benetton team, that was like third or fourth fastest, become the best race car on the grid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. if you if you don't if you're not champion material, you're not. You don't win much. the championship. You yeah. don't do that. You know, you don't win the championship. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it and it proved that as well. It proved you know is who wraps up the championship at Spa. Schumacher right. does. Only like, in, in in no, but in 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 a very dominant car, though, Kunle. I'm sorry, we have to yeah, you have was, to was, remember that it was, it was a very dom- extremely in a, in a very dominant car. Fair enough, but you, you bro, he was getting team orders at Austria, at Austria, which is like the fifth race of the season. He's getting team orders. And that's that's <laughs> why. Well, he Lou brought everyone else. Then he just came in. It's like you know, this is my team now. I've been through the mud with this team. And now it's my time to eat, and no one's gonna take my food from my table. Mm-hmm. And that's what it was like, you know. 
I'm eating now and I'm eating good. So, you know, whoever I'm going to continue is, to eat. I'm going to stay eating. Whoever is a second driver. Who was the second driver at the time? Barrichello. You know, Barrichello came in. Hey, my G, you got a whole time. You know, just chill, right? Chill for me. I'm still eating. When I'm done eating, you can, you know, you can Not get scraps. Fair. And Barricola did get scraps, you know. No, to be fair. Yeah, you got the America that year for free. He got, got the, the American two thousand and five. Are you talking about the two thousand and five Grand Prix, the one that he won by default? Yeah, no, not two thousand and five. It was the Austria. Oh. The same year they did, they did Austria. He swapped it back in yeah. America, as like you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, did he? I took that one. Yeah, he gave him. He gave him one too. He gave him one. Yeah, yeah. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Do you remember what happened in 2010 in Hungary? Yeah, after all the work that Barrichello had done for him, Schumacher tried to completely take him out. Yeah, do you remember that? When that was uh, Barrichello was driving for Williams. Yeah. Oh yeah, really respectful that was. I used to. I used to holding on to that. Uh, what, dude? He helped him win so many world championships. He literally tried to take him off. Watch that, Kunle. After this pod, go and watch that back. Hungary 2010. He literally tried to... Barry Kello came on the radio and was like, black flagging, black flagging for that. J- J- I can't believe you're here listening to Anik trying <laughs> to question Schumacher's championship. <laughs> no, no, I'm not... It's just, guys, look, the ultimate question will come up that, you know, if, 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 if in some way Hamilton does not win number eight, there will be questions... To say who who is the greatest of all time, and right now with Hamilton having seven, Schumacher having seven, we have to consider and look at that debate. In my view, it's yeah. easily Lewis Hamilton, but people but will me, have that debate. But let me throw. So I just uh, want to. But let me throw a spider in the work, right? Not that I, not that I, side either way, right? Lewis has driven against when he retires. How many drivers will we say are legacy drivers? Alonso? Mm-hmm. Vettel? I'll say, hmm, Alonso Vettel. Maybe Raikkonen. Maybe Raikkonen. Maybe Raikkonen. Maybe Raikkonen. Maybe Honestly, when we talk about Michael, he drove against Hill, um, Prost, Prost Mansell, uh, Sansell, Senna, Hill, and so one can argue Yes, the product may be more dominant, but the field of drivers that Michael Schumacher drove against was better, I believe, as a as a top tier talent. Now there were more, there were more world champions. He drove exactly. against more world champions okay. than exactly. so, probably so, anyone else. So mm-hmm. the argument, in terms of pure, so you look at you can't look at pure because you're comparing areas, right? But if let's say Lewis gets eight, then yeah, you 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 say um, by pure numbers, Lewis has what well, his, his 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 legacy is greater. But then the argument will always be it's similar to like how um, we talk about football, right? Um, we talk about Cristiano Ronaldo's international scoring records, hundred and whatever goals. But fifty of those goals came against farmers. Is it really a great record? Well, for, well, for Hamilton it is, because I can completely rebuttal that point, JL. You told me he raced against Senna, Prost, Hill. For all of that, he only has two world championships to show. Hamilton has five, okay, during his time at Mercedes, right? No, sorry, six during his time at Mercedes. And he is driven against other world champions on the grid in Raikkonen, 
in Rosberg, in Vettel, in Button. So that's minimum four world champions there that he's faced against, and he's beaten what, them all. What three of those guys? Wait, 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 wait. What three of those guys in ten years' time won't be talking? we talked about? The world, the world champ, what a four-time world champion, a double world champion. Yeah, yeah. No. Rosberg is still talking right now. No, no. But in in let's say we, I talk about legacy, right? Right now we used to talk people used to talk about Hill, Cross, Mansell, and so forth, right? They are they're not going to talk. They talk about Vettel because he's won four titles. No, talk about no. Listen, Rosberg, mm, maybe, maybe not. Um, Alonso, definitely. But that's about it. Vettel and Alonso. The rest will just, the rest of the rest will just be. I think, yeah. I think oh. JL, I think, I think, I think, I think JL, like you know, you know, Jensen, Jensen Button is a, you know, his world championship is a streets will never forget. World no, champion. of course not. Yeah? Of course not. Streets will not. never forget, and you know, you know, Rosberg also put himself in that category for dipping out when he dipped out. So it's always going to be that guy dipped out when he won the championship. So for some, for some. You know, yeah, he dipped out. It's what, it's what it is. He dipped out. Don't look at me like that. Anyway, to me, I've got a question. Go for it, Chris. Okay. You see, Rosberg, yeah? You see, all the dark arts, he learned that from Michael. So, Michael's dark arts pammed Lewis. That's what happened. <laughs> the dark arts got to Lewis. <laughs> Lewis, Lewis never pulls out these tricks, by the way. But then, you, but then you guys know. But then the thing is, you see, you see the dark arts thing, yeah. You see, Vettel tried it in Baku that year. You might remember oh, that. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. yeah twenty seventeen when he tried to go. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, that's not so he tried. He tried to do that sneaky little thing on the side, yeah. on the side, and then yeah. So that's the so like again. Shumi is 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 a legacy driver. Maybe this Gen Z, maybe the Gen Z kids don't know don't know much about his legacy because they don't they didn't see it they didn't see it happen you know most of most of them saw the Mercedes years of Schumacher most of them didn't see him they didn't see the Schumacher that was walking it was a walking god on the grid. But even in Mercedes, mm. though, there were still glimpses, though, of like yeah, there was um, glimpses. You know, they, he had that yeah, he had that qualifying in Mon- was it Monaco? Yeah. Yeah, that Monaco? qualifying in Monaco. Yeah, yeah, Monaco. Where it, 20... was meant to, where it was meant to be on pole, but then he got like a grid penalty, and then he went. He started from somewhere. Yeah, he, that's that's. But yeah, I, I feel I feel like for a lot of the new school drivers, and it's very weird because this the new school drivers don't really, they're not the they're not the era of drivers that looked up to Schumacher's era of driving. Right. Mm-hmm. So like this new school drivers looked at, they they probably watched. Formula One around the years of Vettel, Alonso, Weber, Hamilton, and Button. Those were probably the drivers that they watched. Maybe, maybe, maybe the older guys, like the guys in their thirties, probably saw a bit of. They probably saw a lot of Schumacher. So, like the Hamiltons saw a lot of Schumacher. Vettel, obviously, being German, looked up to Schumacher. Um, you know, Daniel Ricciardo probably watched Schumacher. But then the newer ones don't, so maybe that's why that that maybe that's why his legacy would sort of, if it's not spoken about by, if it's not continuously spoken about or discussed, maybe that's when that's when he might start getting questioned. Because like, again, you're only you're only as great as people talk about you, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and for many kids these days, and for many people, for many 
younger audience of F1, and this is nothing against the older audience. The younger audience, the younger audience would only go by highlights, and they probably say, "Oh, it was in a faster car." They won't see. Maybe, maybe the documentary would help them see what like he had to drive against. Okay. You know, the younger, the younger audience don't remember. They don't know Senna versus Prost. They don't know how great Mansell was. You know, okay. they probably don't even they probably don't even know how good Justin Button was in the wet. Mm. All they all they know all they know is all they know is Verstappen versus Leclerc, <laughs> which costs me, by the way. But that's by the way. Hey, oh, we're in the mud. <laughs> nah, bro, nah, bro, we do. Hey, nah, mate, we nah, we we we're in the mud. Christopher in the mud. No, we future F one's bright, man. Come on. Future no, F one's bright. You no, know I think I think the I think compared to as with, um as you know, talking about most of the kids so the, the, the current grid of drivers, what, they're ninety eight, two thousand babies, right? So they would have been when they were of an age maybe taking the sport, it would as you said, it would have been Alonso. Yeah, and yeah. with being Lewis, and so that future generation is looking at Lewis Hamilton, and we older ones the same way that if you ask, if you ask Gary Lineker, like best of footballer, he was, he was a Maradona because to him that was who was the the pinnacle at his time, but he respects that Messi's ability. Same way that for me, and uh, maybe and if we will say um, Michael is here because of what we remember. Or we will put Lewis in the same category, just just differently. In ten years' time, you know, unfortunately, you have some fans who may say Max sickening, or they may, or they may say very Lando or whatever. But I think we have the current grid. I think has a probably has the best spread of talent. I would probably say for quite some time, because um, you could probably put four or five drivers in. I say you could put four or five drivers in Lewis's car and each of them you could argue could win a championship. You couldn't say that back in the early 2000s. If you say, okay, I'm going to put, I don't know, whoever it was in, in that Ferrari car of Michael, they may not win a championship. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. Um, I do agree that the future F1's bright. Um, will we see the sort of dominance that we saw? from Ferrari and probably Mercedes right now. No, no. It, it remains to be seen. 2022 is around the corner. Um, so, yeah, look, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Chris, I know you have a lot of time for not just Michael Schumacher, but Mick Schumacher as well. Um, towards the end of the documentary, it was quite it, it was quite touching to see some, some of the comments he made. Um, it, it must be really tough for him, isn't it? Like, growing up especially now uh especially you know we've just spoken about him you know for almost an hour the way you know he's he's regarded in, in the formula one world um what's your thoughts on mick schumacher mate he's the like the nicest kid you could meet like it pays real testament to michael the fact that he's so good and yeah, he's just a, like hearing him talk about how he give up everything to speak with his dad about being in Formula 
one is just testament to you know the relationship they have good of a child he is and just like like he's a good racer he's clearly shown his skills grow coming in one so i wish him the best and you know hopefully he can win in the ferrari one day like yeah i think that will be um perfect that'll be like literally can't come in full circle for for the schumacher Chris, Chris, uh, schumacher you, and their family definitely chris is that why you like set up nick hive yeah because he's a, a good kid ha- hashtag yeah. nick hive <laughs> he's a good he's, he's a good every, he's a good he's from a good single, like junior category you he's sure that's why junior or... category that's your cv submitted or is it because it's a good youth from a good home, yeah? When you win every category, like Leclerc, like Russell, you get back in. You get back in. You get back in. Mm. You show levels. He I won the championship with a serious name. I might pick up a form very soon. You know, the documentary convinced me. You know, we, we love good kids from good homes, yeah? We love them. Oh, <laughs> man. I think... I, I personally think when when it comes to Mick, I, I think he's got a huge, huge expectation on his shoulders. Um, personally, I, I really hope he delivers. Um, you know, I think yeah, just as as you mentioned, Chris, he's he's there on merit. You know, he's won all of those those junior categories. Um, but he will always have that, you know, in the back of his head that yeah, you know, my dad, you know, will be considered one of the greatest ever. Kwame, let me let me quickly come to you on Mick um, before we wrap up. What's what's your thoughts on Mick? Um, not only in the documentary, but but as a driver, especially this season as well. I think Mick, the documentary, what I was about to say is it shows how mentally strong he is as a person, uh, especially as well, because um, I think it was touched on the documentary, but he was actually there with his dad when the whole um, skiing is happening as well, and he's only 14 at the time. So for you to see your dad go through a traumatic experience that has affected you know his life, and the way the family talking about him, is, I feel like it's the closest we'll ever get because the family are, very private situation, but um, it, it seemed like, you know, he's in a very, very deep place, like a very bad place in the sense that, you know, the way some of them about, like, the mom was about in past and whatnot, and they were saying that we're very protective of Michael, and we'll look after him, and, you know, it showed that, you know, it's definitely had a toll on Mick, but I think he's used that to his advantage in the sense that he's definitely had down his chip in the shoulders, made him, you know, push, you know, to the next level. I feel like Mick is a driver. I feel like, personally, from, you know, like Chris said, with his junior uh, category, he's done very, very well. Seems like a driver is very calculated in the sense that he's done very well in his second years. And he's a very consistent driver as well during the um, lower formulas. So I feel like for his age, similar to his dad, because his dad was very mature. And at the beginning of the documentary, during the karting, and he was getting interviewed, his, his, his dad had a very short um, head on him. And even Mick seen like that now as well. So. I feel like Mick knows what else to do. He's got a backing of the Ferrari guys. I feel like the ceiling is is the sky's limit for him, to be honest with you. Um, you just need, you know, a seat, uh, be it from Sands or Leclerc or whatever. But yeah, I think he can. He he he, he ain't taking Leclerc seat. No way. <laughs> he's got potential to go there. <laughs> he's gonna be Leclerc and Mick himself. all the way. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, imagine I that driver lineup. Thing, <laughs> um, any any final words, guys, before we wrap up? Um, I'll just say that the documentary was good. I wish it was more of a limited season series, so maybe two parts, because for those who don't know about Michael, 
So in general, it was good to know about his life, you know, his early days, where, where he came up, to show that, um, you know, he didn't just come into the sport, win from day one, it was easy peasy, ex- no, he actually had to try. The only piece which I, which, which I wish they delved more into, as you said, was it was, what, 90 minutes, give or take? So it was 70 odd minutes of, up until his first title. For first World Championship, yeah, yeah and Ferrari. Rest. And that's the piece which talks, which actually I think cements his legacy more because it's the dominance. So if you're a casual Formula 1 fan, which a lot more people are, they, as you say, we, they don't really understand some of the real black arts that he really did, him and, he, he and Ferrari really did. So I would have liked to have seen a part two of that. However, no, I echo the guys, I think Mick, hopefully will have a good career, leave Haas, go to like Afatari, Aston Martin, you know, a nice midfield team, um, show his talents. Would I want to see him for him one day? A part of me says yes, but a part of me is like that. That pressure with with Schumacher name is is a lot, and we'll see we'll see if he can do it. I I I haven't, you know, it's it's still early in his career, but it was good to finally see something from the Schumacher family, and um, just hope that. Yeah, some some positive news from him comes out soon enough. Yep, no, perfect, perfect little summary there, Joe. I fully agree with you. They probably should have split it up over a couple of episodes, but it was it was really nice from Netflix. It was a great way to sum up the two week break that we have between races, and and obviously an, an excellent throwback to Schumacher. Um, as a disclaimer, I'm not playing down any of Schumacher's achievements. He, for me, is definitely up there as one oh, of the greatest. Copying. Oh, you're copying but, please now, yeah? But there is one driver that is ahead of him, and that's not bad in any way, shape or form. That one driver is my GOAT, and that's Lewis Hamilton. Um, but whatever Schumacher's achievements were, and however much you rate them, it was an, an excellent throwback and an excellent documentary, and we thoroughly enjoyed it. Until next time, where we will be reviewing the Russian Grand Prix Peace from everyone at Pit Stop Fracker. Enjoy yourself and take care. Sports Social Podcast Network.